Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. That's where we'll continue in our study through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And we uh, saw that David killed Goliath last week, and today we're going to pick up where we left off. But as I was uh, studying this text, what we see is David fulfilling his destiny. Uh, the Lord has already told David um, that we as readers know that the Lord has chosen David to be king. He's going to be the king of Israel. And so you see his destiny is out there, and it's insane to think that he's going to be king of Israel, considering where he was. He was a forgotten kid out in the desert keeping sheep, and that's his destiny. And so as I thought about that, it reminded me when I was uh, a lot younger, probably about 20 years ago, and I was very concerned about my destiny, and it was, Lord, what is, what is your will for my life kind of questions. And I knew I was, uh, I, was, I was already serving on staff at a church, but I knew that I was, or I was starting to figure out I was supposed to be a pastor, but at the same time, it was becoming clear to me that we're probably not leaving Shreveport, and so the odds of me being a pastor were very unlikely. So I was a little upset, a little concerned, a little over-concerned about my own personal destiny, and probably about my own glory, if I have to be honest, as a young man, I probably had a little too much of that in there. But as I sat and talked with a, 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 someone senior of me who had walked with Jesus a lot longer, he kind of just led me to say, hey, you know what? You have no idea what the Lord has in store for you. And he shared it was analogous to his son who was now married and his son was in Shreveport and said, I'm never going to find a wife. I've met all the women in Shreveport and she's not here. And he said to her, you just have no idea. And now that guy was married. And so he used that to help me see, you just don't know what the Lord's going to do. He's got a plan for your life. Just keep your head down. Just keep working. Keep being faithful. And that's exactly what we see going on with David. His destiny is he'll be king of Israel. And we see incredible things happen from the beginning of this chapter where he is, he's, a, he's a shepherd boy the one that his dad didn't think much of, didn't even bring him to the, the ceremony to decide who, which of his boys would be king. He didn't even, the dad didn't even bring him because he's like, well, it's certainly not David. He's going to go from being that guy to being clothed with the robe of the prince, the son of the king of Israel, having the people cheering his name and proclaiming him and celebrating him and actually being, becoming, by the end of this chapter, chapter, a member of the royal family. He marries the daughter of the king. How in the world does David pull that off? How does he fulfill his destiny? That's really what we're looking at today. How to fulfill your destiny that God has for you. And I love that language, right? That sounds like it's straight out of a movie, because we want to know our destiny. Father, I ask you to help us this morning to really understand what is our destiny and how to arrive at that destiny that you have for us. So we pray as we look at David's ascent to the throne, as we consider Jesus's ascent to the throne, how do we fulfill our destiny in life? Teach us from the life of David. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we pick up right where we left off. If you'll remember, after David killed Goliath, Saul says, bring that boy here. And Saul brings David in front of him. He says, I have one question for you. He doesn't say, how'd you do that? What did he say? Whose boy are you? 
And he said, I'm Jesse's boy. And then they played that song. No, I'm just kidding. Um, As soon as he had finished, verse 1, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, so we're right there, continue the scene, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Imagine this guy. He's this shepherd boy that nobody cared about. David, Jonathan, the prince, the heir to the throne, made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his princely robe that was on him, and he gave it to David. And then he gives him his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is incredible. He is already being made prince of Israel. His, the prince himself is bowing to him, in essence, and pledging his loyalty, putting his robe on him, giving him his armor. If you think about the chapter before, David has already worn the king's armor. I mean, clearly, something's going on in this dude's life. And he's just obeying the Lord, and, and people are just throwing royal robes upon him. Then David went out, in verse 5, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. He's exalting David. And this was good in the sight of all the people. And listen to this, also in the sight of Saul's servants or Saul's officials. Think about this. The officials and Jonathan are all the rivals to the throne. Jonathan would be heir to the throne when King Saul was done. Jonathan, the son, would be the most likely candidate to receive the kingship. But if not him, it would be one, surely it would be one of Saul's other officials or servants. And so David has already won over all of his rivals. He's already won them over. They're, they're all bowing to him, cheering him, giving his robes to him. How is he doing this? Is David a master politician? Is he just shrewd in his dealings? Has he got this grand scheme that I know exactly where I'm going and I'm going to do whatever it takes to whoever it takes to make sure I get there? And he's a power broker and he's a shrewd politician knowing I've got to win this power broker. I've got to get this. I got. Is that what he's doing? Let's just keep looking. Look at verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul. So listen, they're coming out to praise King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Here's a song, a verse from the song they sang. They said, Saul has struck down his thousands. And David has struck down his ten thousands. Now at that point, I think we've backtracked in the story. This is after David killed Goliath. And Goliath said, winner takes all. My people will submit to you. Well, he lied. They didn't. They took off running. And David and King Saul led David, his appointed one. And they went and they killed all these Philistines. And they come back. And the people are cheering. But notice they're cheering Saul as well. They're cheering Saul. They're praising Saul. Saul's appointed one. He's assembled a great team. And his 
his right-hand man who, is, who he should be getting credit for, it says that you've done a great job and he's killed tens of thousands and he's done a great job. How does Saul respond to this cheering of the people? Surely he says, man, I'm at the height of my career. Things are going great. I've assembled a great team and the people are praising us. Instead, we see verse 8. Saul was very angry. Why was Saul angry? And this, this saying displeased Saul. He said, well, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day on. What's going on in the heart of Saul? He sees David's destiny. He sees God's will for David's life is to be king of Israel. He's already been told that, but he doesn't want it. And he's prideful and he's jealous. He's eaten up with jealousy. And see, when someone is eaten up with jealousy and pride, they can't celebrate the success of others. They can't celebrate the success of their team because they feel threatened by it. And that's what we see going on with, with Saul as he's filled with pride and jealousy. And Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So this is an insight into Saul's prideful, haughty spirit before the downfall of his reign as king. So he's eaten up with this pride and jealousy And I think this part of the text just reminds us to say, if we're going to be a people who seek after God's own heart, we've got to ask, this is a healthy diagnostic question to check our hearts. Are you working to bring God glory or are you working to bring yourself glory? In 2022, as you think about your destiny, as you think about what God has in store for you this year, as you go about doing your job and raising your kids and and trying your business ventures or you're ministering to someone else or you're doing something in the community, what is the ultimate goal of doing all of that? Are you working to bring yourself glory? You want the praise of the people? You want them to write songs about you? You want them to build you up and talk about how great you are? Or are you doing all that you do in order to bring God glory that they might write songs about God's goodness that they may praise the God that has saved you? One good place to look is how do you feel towards others' success? If you feel threatened by it, if you feel challenged by it, if you can't celebrate it, there's a good chance you are living for your own glory. And if we're going to be a people who seek after God's heart, we have to live for God's glory. And as we continue to read, we see the effect that this this pride and this self-exaltative spirit that Saul has, we see the effect it has on Saul himself. In verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. And while David was playing the lyre, so imagine this scene, he's sitting at a table. I don't know why, but when I picture these scenes, I kind of think of... uh, 
of like old like King Lear and he's got his goblet there. And he's, so he's sitting there and David's down there pl- playing his, his musical instrument. And, and all of a sudden this mean spirit, this evil spirit rushes upon Saul. It says with David's playing and he's trying to soothe him as he did day by day. Over and over, David is serving this king. And then Saul had his spear in his hand And Saul hurls the spear at David for he thought, I'll pin David against the wall. Can you imagine this scene? I bet David was like, don't make me grab my sling. I will pop you in the forehead, bro. And he says, oh, yeah. And so he slings another one and David, whoop, whoop, whoop. I mean, what's he doing? Is he like, Saul, what are you doing? I'm just kidding, man. I mean, it's just a funny scene, but you got to think about David. In essence, this is the worst boss known to man. He's trying to pin him against the wall with a spear. And yet, what is David doing? He's humbly serving this guy day by day, putting up with that kind of nonsense, just being faithful, just being a man of integrity, serving him, and he's not getting rewards, he's not getting bonuses, he's not getting promotions, he's getting spears hurled at him. And the, and the boss is jealous of him. The boss is threatened by him. And don't you know David has, goes to bed every night going, what in the world, Lord? I'm being faithful. I thought you had a great destiny for me. Instead, I'm sure David, you would think David would be living in fear every day he went to work. Ironically, it's not David who lived in fear. Look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David the author says. What in the world? Why would Saul be afraid of David? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. And there is the answer to how David is fulfilling his destiny. The Lord was with him. And that explains why Saul was acting so vile and so evil. He was acting in his flesh. We see a picture of Saul living in the flesh, living for his own glory, seeking after his own self-exaltation. And when a humble man of God, filled with the Spirit of God, is living faithful, humble, servant life, it's threatening to him. Over and over, the author tells us, but the reason David is, is... Upward climbing and and ascending to the throne is because the Lord was with him in verse 13. So Saul removed him from his presence and he made him commander of a thousand. Get out of here. And he went out and he came in before the people and David had success in all his undertakings. Why? For the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. That's the reason for his success. The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, what happened in Saul? He stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. So we see this dual movement. We see Saul miserably going down and down, and we see David faithfully rising to the throne. And the difference is the hand of the Lord is on David 
And Saul is just acting in the flesh. The difference is the Spirit of God has left Saul and is now with David. And that is the key to understanding what's going on. Now, see, we got to understand in the Old Testament, y'all with me? Y'all sleeping? Y'all awake? We good? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had a different mode of operation. He did not indwell believers and stay with them forever like he does in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he would descend upon people for a cause and to enable them to do what they needed to do. When it came time to build the tabernacle or to do art that went in it and to do crafts of gold went in it, craftsmen were embodied by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit to perform this task. But then when Christ came, he cleanses us of unrighteousness, enabling us to be the dwelling of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God indwells us when we are in Christ by faith. And so he is in us never to leave us again. In Romans 8, 9, Paul in the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So there are no such thing as believers apart from the Spirit. If you are a son of God by faith in Christ, then you have the Spirit of God. And Hebrews reminds us, the Lord said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. So we have the Spirit of God sealing us to make sure we persevere to our destiny. But we need to also stop and do what we need to do every time we read these Old Testament texts and ask this question, How does this point me to Jesus? How does David's life picture Jesus? Because remember, the Bible was, God inspired the writers of the Bible and the collectors of the Bible to put it together. The Hebrew Bible was given to Israel in some very, very dark, hopeless days. And the design of the Bible is to point you to point them and us as readers to know that the Christ is still coming, that King David was not the Messiah. He was pointing us to the Messiah who is still to come. He's still going to bring about God's plans that all hope is not lost. And so as we read these texts, we want to continue to say, how does this point us to Christ? Well, David is the picture of Christ. David is a king that prefigures Jesus and that Jesus was an unlikely king, the king that nobody would expect, the king that was rejected by his own people, yet he was chosen by God. And like David, his journey to the throne was through great suffering, through great persecution, as we're going to see King Saul brutally persecuting David and pursuing David in the chapters ahead. So through unjust persecution and suffering, Jesus was exalted to the throne. And we're told here that he had the Spirit of God upon him at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4. We are told that Jesus quoted Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. So God has a royal destiny for David, and that is the throne of Israel. God had a royal destiny for Jesus, and that is to be exalted to his right hand, the throne of God. But guess what? God has a royal destiny for you. We don't talk about that much. And that's not language you hear from us, us very often. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're afraid of the prosperity gospel that's out there. That it says, you know, oh, God wants great things for you. And if you just believe it and claim it, he'll give it to you. Why do we not preach that? It's not biblical. But what I mean is this. It's not that we don't want you to know that God has great future for you. 
It's that those things are not great enough. A new car, a new house, a big bank account, that's not glorious enough. God has a great destiny for you, and it is that you be a part of his royal family, that you be adopted into the king's family as a child of God through faith in Christ, that you reign and rule with Jesus over his new heavens and a new earth forever. Like we see in Genesis 1, where all of God's people are trusting in him, obeying him, and reigning and ruling to the glory of God forever. That is your destiny as a child of God. That is what God has in store for you. So in 2022, as you think, God, what is your will for my life? I want to encourage you to do better than I did 20 years ago. Instead of looking to the, just the physical few years ahead and what has God... Take it even further into the horizon and know that God has a destiny for you. And that is eternal life with him, reigning and ruling over his new heavens and new earth as the glorious royal family of God. And then you're set free from living for your own glory. You're set free from living for your own purposes and your own desires. And then it frees you to say, I'm going to seek after his heart. I'm going to live for his glory. I'm going to live in a way that glorifies him so that I'm free to promote the good of others, to be a blessing to others, to celebrate the success of others, to celebrate if someone is rising into a higher status or power than me because I'm not living for that. But how does it happen? It all happens by being filled with the spirit of God. And how are you filled with the Spirit of God? You trust in Jesus Christ. You put your faith and hope in Christ that he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. He gives you his righteousness. He makes you able to, to be the dwelling of God's Spirit. And then you learn how to walk in the Spirit. Learn how to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So in 2022, if you want to take a year's journey towards your destiny, here's how you do it. You trust in Christ, be filled with the Spirit, learn how to walk according to the Spirit. In Romans 8, 4, Paul says, Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set their mind on the thing of the flesh is death. That's what we see going on with Saul. He set his mind on the fleshliness, on his own exaltation, on his own agenda, and it's leading to his own demotion. But to set the mind on the things of the spirit, like David, is the path of life and peace. So what does that look like very practically? That's why you read the word. That's why you pray. That's why you go to, connect, to core classes. That's why you're in a community group, because it helps you to take the word of God, set your mind on the things of God, on the plans and purposes of God, on the destiny that God says is here for you. And it allows you to let go and let go of trying to seek the glory and live for his glory. In verse 17, it almost seems like Saul is coming around, like, he, like he's starting to, to do some nice things. Look at verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here's my elder daughter, Merib. Now that seems like it's out of the blue, but remember what he said when 
David and Goliath were fighting. He said, hey, whoever kills Goliath will get my daughter. So it looks like, okay, he's honoring his word. He says, I'll give her to you for a wife, David. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Now, it shouldn't have strings attached. She's already said, I'm going to give my wife to whoever wins the battle. But he says, here's my wife, but now I need you to go fight and be valiant. What's going on here? Well, Saul thought to himself, let not my hand be against him, being against David, but let's let the hand of the Philistines be against him. He's got the people. I can't kill them. So I'm just going to send them out to war and let the Philistines kill them, and that'll take care of David. What did David do to deserve that type of treatment? Y'all are so tired this morning. Let's wake up. What did David do to deserve that type of treatment? Nothing. He was faithful. He was just doing his job. He was just serving the Lord. And you say, God, I thought you had a great plan for my life. How could I be facing these terrible people doing terrible things to me? If you have good for my life, then I shouldn't expect suffering. That's not biblical. The path to his destiny is through suffering. He will be faithful to you through the suffering. So how does David shrewdly navigate these waters, these political roadblocks on his way to the throne? What does he do? Verse 18, David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king? He's just humble in his response. He's not arrogant. He's not stepping on other people's heads. He's not, I don't care what it costs. I'm going to make sure I get what I deserve. Then the narrator tells us, but at that time when Merib, the Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, say that a few times, Maholathite, for a wife. So Saul pulled a, a trick on him. He's like, nah, never mind, just kidding. You're not going to get her. And we read over these things quickly like they don't really mean anything. But think about it. David was a real dude. He's just trying to be faithful. He knows God has good for his future. And yet, the more he seems to be humble and faithful, the more wicked people seem to be treating him. I mean, now his boss is not only chunking spears at him, but he's lying and he's cheating and he's changing things. He's, he's like, if you do this, I'll give you a bonus this year. He does that. Oh, I'm going to raise the goals. Now your bonus is going to take a lot more work. It's just... Not what we like. I'm sure he had lots of questions in his heart. But what we need to see is all through all the twists and turns and uncertainties and seemingly detours, what's happening? What's happening with David's life? He's heading right where God wants him. We see another twist in verse 20. God's working out his plan for David, but it's through twists and turns. It says, now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, hey, your daughter likes David. Why don't we go that route? And this pleased him only because Saul thought to himself, well, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him. We don't know really what that means, but I think it's a spiritual snare because in 19 verse 13, this is the wife who, when they were going somewhere, is packing up her idols. So it may be that the King Saul is like, look, she's an idol worshiper. Let's get them married and maybe she will lead him away from God and God's hand won't be on him anymore. Maybe she'll be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He's just doing anything to get rid of David. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. Okay, this time I'm serious. You can have my daughter. And Saul 
commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say this. So he's scheming. Behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And then David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? I'm a poor man. I have no reputation. Again, humility. And then verse 24, the servants of Saul told king, thus so David speaks. And then Saul said, well, then say this to David. The king desires no bride price. Maybe it's a matter of money. Maybe he's saying he can't pay the bride price. In other words, in modern day language, maybe he's saying he can't afford rehearsal dinner. How's he going to pay for this? Except for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines is what the king says he needs. No bride price is necessary. Just give me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That's just flat out nasty. (laughs) That he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now, I think there's some holy warfare going in here because the foreskins being uncircumcised Gentiles means they're not fearing God. So maybe it's like if you can go kill 100 people and give them Bibles. I mean, it's just weird, all right? So now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. That's all that matters. David is still trying, Saul is still trying to kill David. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. David's like, I will serve in your holy war. I will fight. I will avenge the enemies of God. He said, bring me a hundred foreskin of the Philistines before time expired. David arose and went along with his men. He killed 200, not 100, but 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. I had a good laugh with someone in the hallway earlier and said, don't you know that the king was like, uh, I was speaking metaphorically. And David was like, oh, my bad. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. It's just weird all around, all right? But the point being, David is just serving at the king's disposal. And the king is just doing nothing but trying to get rid of David. And all of this we're told, the Lord has a great destiny for David. Where's where's his destiny in this? You come in here and I say that God in Christ wants to make you a royal heir to his throne. And you're like, I don't see it. My boss is doing me wrong. People are lying about me. I lost a loved one. I've lost my job. This has gone bad. I don't feel well. How in the world are you telling me that God has a royal destiny for me? Genesis 50 verse 20. You remember what that text is? Chapter 50 of Genesis. The famous words of Joseph in Egypt, who's ascended to the reign and rule over Egypt, the right hand of Pharaoh. How did he get there? Sin against him after sin against him, evil attack against him, sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, terrible after terrible after terrible, and yet... Next thing you know, through all of that, he's the right hand of Pharaoh. His brothers are before him. And here's what he says, those famous words to his brother. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive 
as they are today. What was God doing in that scene? He's committed to his covenant promises. He said, through Abraham's descendants, I will fill the earth with my glory. A plague is coming and they're all gonna die, but I'm gonna use Joseph. Another run of the litter, if you will. A lot of bad things are gonna happen to him, but I'm gonna use, I'm gonna be working sovereignly and faithful to get him where I need him to be a part of my plan to spread my glory. You and I are the Joseph. You and I are the David. You and I are the Israelites. We got no telling what's going on in life, but I promise you God has not given up on his promises to bless you with a great destiny. He is working sovereignly in and through your life to make you a part of his royal family. But you have to have eyes of faith to see it. You have to trust God to continue to see that he's doing that. But when Saul, verse 28, when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, there it is again, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, Saul was even more afraid of David. It's just getting worse. I'm, David's getting subjected to more evil, more evil from Saul. And it's just making Saul more and more afraid and sinking lower and lower. And the people just keep lifting up David and he keeps getting exalted. Though in the microcosm of it, he's going through a lot of bad stuff. So Saul was David's enemy continually. In verse 30, then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success, more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. David is being exalted to his destiny, the throne of Israel, and how is he doing it? He's trusted in Christ, the Messiah. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's learned to walk in the Spirit, and he's trusting that God is sovereignly working out his plan, even through the suffering. And that's what we got to know for this year. So what you got to know for the Christian walk, God has a great plan for your life. And it's well beyond the plans of this world. It's eternity with him in glory. And the way to get there is to seek his heart, to walk in the spirit, to open your Bibles, to read what his plans are, his promises, see what he's committed to and put your head down and commit yourself to humbly trust and obey the Lord and trust he is going to fulfill your destiny for you. Father, would you give us that heart of faith? Would you help us to truly trust you, know you enough through your word in community that we know we can trust you that even though there's difficulties, there's evil committed against us, there's challenges in life, that we can trust that you are going to get us where you want us in your plan to fill this earth with your glory. Set us free from the cravings to, for our own glory. Enable us to live for your glory. Enable us to to celebrate the success of others, to equip others, enable us to walk according to your spirit wherever you lead and give us confidence that you are working day in and day out, that we may live for your glory.